This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is a Thursday, the 15th of November, day four of the Dubai Air Show. We are live from our special home for the air show. It is the DC Aviation Alpha Tame VIP Hub. What have we got for you? Well, we're going to jump straight into our top business stories, of course, aviation, but also Joe Biden and Xi Jinping. Big talks in San Francisco overnight. Going to get the latest on that and we'll hear from Joe Biden. What else? Then we have a smorgasbord of aviation chief executives today. Kicking off with Antonio Neves, his first interview on the Business Breakfast since he became CEO of Etihad Airways about a year ago. Then we got the startup. Tero Tesquila is the CEO of the world's newest airline, Beyond. Their first flight was just yesterday from Munich to the Maldives. He's been at the Dubai Air Show chatting with Brandy Scott. And finally, the former CEO of Etihad Airways, who is now overseeing the launch of Riyadh Air. They're set to take off in early 2025. He's been in conversation with our producer, Mohamed Suleiman. All that to come. First up, though, let's jump straight into those top business stories. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Big meeting yesterday, or overnight really for us, in San Francisco. It's the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation meeting taking place. And it's on, of course, in San Francisco, on the coast of the Pacific Ocean. The biggie yesterday was a meeting between Joe Biden and Xi Jinping. We'll get some analysis on this shortly. But first of all, let's have a listen to Joe Biden. He was speaking at a press conference afterwards about economic ties with China. It's clear that we object to Beijing's non-market economic practices and disadvantage that disadvantage American businesses and workers, and that we'll continue to address them. And I named what I thought a number of those were. I welcome the positive steps we've taken today. And it's important for the world to see that we're implementing the approach in the best traditions of American diplomacy. We're talking to our competitors and just talking, just made blunt with one another. So there's no misunderstanding as a key element to maintaining global stability and delivering for the American people. And in the months ahead, we're going to continue to preserve and pursue high-level diplomacy at the PRC in both directions to keep the lines of communication open, including between President Xi and me. He and I agreed that each one of us could pick up the phone, call directly, and we'd be heard immediately. Let's get some reaction to this. Ed Bell of Emirates MBD was watching closely. We asked him, what were your key economic takeaways? This seemed to be a fairly constructive discussion between U.S. President Joe Biden and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping. Uh, They managed to reach agreement on restoring communications between the two countries' militaries to avoid sort of any uh, accidental encounters. Uh, They made some agreement on stemming supplies of fentanyl, which is used in production of opioids, as well as having some discussions on artificial intelligence. I think just the fact that we are starting to get these high-level bilateral discussions is a positive sign for the relationship between the United States and China. The Economist, Ed Bell. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right, let's have a look at where we are in our lineup of airline CEOs. And to Aldo Nevis is the CEO of Etihad Airways. He's been in the job for about a year, but it's the first time that we have spoken to him. Richard Dean went along to the air show and did the honours. Um, so back in profitability at Etihad, we don't know exactly how much for the first half of this year. What can you tell us? 
I can tell you we're back to profitability. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of profit margins, IATA is talking about 1.2% for the industry this year. Etty, um, Emirates just reported about a 16% margin for the year. So there's a, 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 a Arabia is 29%. There's a big wide margin there. Any hints you can give us about? Not really. I mean, but I can tell you it's above average. So okay. that, that's what I can tell you. It's 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 a good year for us. We're still in the process of expanding margins. So there is a journey ahead of us. But we're confident we're on the right track. Well, can you tell me about that journey? Because I'm fascinated through to 2030. Because I think of of Etihad as being kind of a play in three act, and I've been here more than 20 years. <laughs> act one, James Hogan, massive expansion and acquisition. Act two, under Tony Douglas, the turnaround, his phrase, he used it all the time. And then act three is uh, Anton Rualdo. Margin Nendez. expansion, so margin yeah, expansion. <laughs> what is the script for act three? Margin expansion, it's all about margin expansion. We, look, um, we have invested a lot of time over the past, uh, actually in the first six months of the year trying to understand how can we position the airline in a very pragmatical way to deliver to our customer what we have to deliver, right? So we're back to the basics, right? In, in reality, what we're doing is we're renewing completely our network. So that's the first step, right? We have a net, the first product that we sell in the end is a network. When you Google, what do you see? A flight and a schedule. Then you see the price, then you see the airline, right? So we have a lot to invest in our schedule. So we're doubling our number of flights to Europe. We're doubling our number of flights to Southeast Asia. And uh, that's going to put together a new network for us to be able to deliver a product that is going to be even more competitive than what we have today. I mean, reading that you want to triple the number of passengers by the end of this decade. Yeah. 2024 is only yeah. just around the yeah. corner. Yeah. 10 million-ish last year. 30 million. It's what, makes that, you, what makes you think that's possible? It's not that difficult. If you think about if we do 10% CAGR, 10% annual growth yeah. rate every year, uh, we're going to get there. So GDP is growing the region at least 5%. So every time GDP grows 5%, I mean, an airline in a region like this grows at least twice as much. So actually, if we double, we're just doing what the market is doing. Right? So we don't see that as a stretch. However, the key important point here is to keep consistency. It's not about boom and bust, boom and bust. What we have to do, actually, you mentioned Emirates, and I admire Emirates a lot, is what they did was consistent growth every year, right? If you look Emirates for the past 10, 15 years, 7 to 10% every single year. So we're going to be very diligent, and we're going to be delivering growth every single year. So it's not about a boom and a bust, a boom and a bust. We want to keep it steady. You say you want to grow the network, which is great, but a lot of airports are busy, aren't they? I mean, getting new slots at Heathrow is not an easy task, is it? Although I did read that you say you have got some spare slots to India at the moment, which is a massive market. Talk me through getting landing slots. It's not easy, you're right. It's, it's, it's a challenge we have, but there is space in the market for that. So I would say that about two thirds of our plan for the next seven years, we have slots or bilaterals for that, that we can secure. Right, but we have one third that we have to work on. So it's, it's not that everything is ready there waiting for us to tackle, but uh, we, we have to work on that. That's not going to be easy, but we believe that is in the mutual interest of all the countries and all the airports to grow their capacity, right? Because the more offer you have, I mean, the lower the prices are going to be, right? So nobody likes constrained markets. 
you're not, we don't think, ordering any new planes this week at the Dubai Air Show. <laughs> but you have said that you will obviously need to expand the fleet. What kind of aircraft are you looking at? We're, we believe in fleet flexibility. That's the way we see the world, right? I mean, I, this is the third airline that I'm a CEO, and I never regret that you have fleet flexibility. What's fleet flexibility, right? We, we have a number of planes ordered, right, in our order book, but we need more, we need more. And we want to get more as we go. So how do we do that? We can leverage less source, for instance. We can have the leverage the great relationship with, we have with manufacturers to get planes as we need. So I prefer to be deciding on planes every now and then, and, and from time to time, than to make big orders and lock the future forever, right? Because then I have fleet flexibility, which is extremely important for an airline to deliver margin expansion. And you also want new planes because they're more fuel efficient. I heard For you sure. say at the IATA event just a couple of months ago, or thereabouts, 20, almost 25% more fuel efficient than some of the modern planes. Yeah, the new generation aircraft is amazing. I mean, if you take the 321LR that we introduced at the top of Portugal to fly over the Atlantic, I mean, it burns 20% less fuel per per hour. It's, it's, it's just an amazing plane. The 787s that we have, they're very efficient as compared to the old generation aircraft. And it's a competitive edge. And not only that, supports the environment as well, right? So we burn less CO2 because of that. So that's why we're this, for two years in a row, the most sustainable airline in the world. Uh, very happy about that. Sustainable aviation fuel, lots of hype, lots of excitement, but A, it's expensive, and B, there's not a lot of it around. What are the prospects as you go through on this 2030 expansion plan? Is SAF going to play any meaningful role in that? Is it going to move the needle? I come from a country that, I mean, more Brazil, more than half of the cars, they run on sustainable aviation fuel, right? Ethanol. That's been around since 82 in Brazil, right? So, but it's not an easy task, as you said, right? You, you need to build uh, the livestock, to do it or you need to find an alternative source of, of uh, components to manufacture the fuel. Uh, but it's going to happen. I mean, the technology is there. I mean, Etihad did its first 100% SAF flight about 10 years ago. I mean, when I was in Brazil in 2015. Before it was cool. Before it was cool, right? It was not even SAF, right? The name. <laughs> now we talk about SAF, 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 SAF. I mean, it's been around for a long time. I think it's just a matter of time that it's going to have the scale. It may take three years, it may take five years, it may take ten years. Reality is the direction is clear. Everyone's going to go into that direction. It, and I think it's going to be cheaper. If you think about it, right, it has to be cheaper, right? And the reason is very simple, right? If it's not cheaper, it's not going to fly, right? It's, it's not going to be there. Actually, ethanol in Brazil is cheaper than gasoline. Right, so why it can be cheaper? So I think it's going to be there. We need scale for it to be cheaper, right? Uh, right now, of course, it's more expensive, but that's how you start um, any any kind of production, right? Start small, you have more costs, but then you can dilute all those costs, and I, I truly believe it's going to be cheaper. Let's talk about competition in this region. You're expanding rapidly. Uh, there's a chap just around the corner running Riyadh Air who wants to expand rapidly, and others as well. When you look at the dangers of overcapacity for the, not just the Gulf Airlines, but I, I would add Turkish in there, hubbing out of Istanbul, these Middle East hub airlines, some analysts do worry about overcapacity. What's your take? I think it depends on the time frame, right? The overcapacity is, comes together with the ability of OEMs to deliver planes, and that's just not out there, right? I mean, you have engines issues today. Actually, next year, 
we're not going to have enough capacity in the market because we have a lot of engine engine issues in the market, right? So we're going to have to ground a lot of planes, not in our case because we don't have these engines, but many airlines are going to have to ground planes next year. So I don't think overcapacity is a topic for the next three, four years. Nobody knows how the market is going to be in five years. So I think overcapacity is actually a discussion for us to have in five years, not now. Actually, today, planes are more expensive. You cannot find a plane and you, you just want to serve the market. So I think overcapacity is a topic for the next three to five years, not, not within the next three years. So let's wait and see how it's going to unfold. I think it's just too early to tell. Well, can we finish by talking a little bit about a bit of a history lesson? Because your background, you're, you're from Brazil, then you ran an airline in Portugal, and here you are in Abu Dhabi now. But I was reading about your background in Brazil. You were a McKinsey consultant, and you helped design not just the strategy for an airline, but for the entire Brazilian aviation industry. That's a big country. What lessons have you learned from that, that kind of grand aviation strategy, and how can you apply them, not just to Etihad, because you work closely with the guys at the airport as well, and then everything else that's happening in terms of aerospace in Abu Dhabi. Uh, the, the biggest learning for me from that phase of my life is that there is so much, so much value that you can unlock in aviation when you remove barriers. There's so many barriers. Let me give you one example, right? Uh, we're moving to the new terminal, right, in, in Abu Dhabi. Massive, beautiful infrastructure, right? Um, and when I think about that airport, I think about efficiency. And nobody realizes how efficient that airport is going to be. So let me give you one example. Etihad alone is going to be saving $10 million per year just because in that airport we're going to have power, electricity, and we're going to have ACs and we won't be running our aircraft in GPUs and APUs to give power to, to the plane. So, I mean, this is removing inefficiency from the system. And that's unlocking value because if I can make $10 million more per year, I can actually take more risk. So my biggest learning is every time you think about aviation in a horizon of 10, 15, 20 years, try to find out what is curbing, what is curbing development. And uh, it's so clear, right? When you see, I mean, airports that only have one runaway, right? It curbs development, right? When you have airports and the terminal is not big enough for you to take more planes. When you have ATC constraints, you're curbing development. When you have fuel that is too expensive, right, you're curbing development. So if you remove all those problems, right, the, there is no reason why aviation should grow globally much more than we, 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 we can deliver at full capacity. Just a couple of final questions to, to wrap up. Also in Brazil, one of the kind of shining achievements on your CV is that, I think it was Azul Airlines there, you took it public. You floated it on the New York Stock Exchange. Now, your parent company at Etihad, ADQ, no stranger to an IPO in Abu Dhabi. Let's say we get to 2030. Let's say you've tripled the number of passengers. Let's say the profitability is doing really, really well. Thoughts about an IPO? Has that conversation happened in the boardroom yet? Uh, I mean, if the date happens, I'm not going to disclose, right? Uh, but uh, IPOs are... The way I see IPOs is, is very simple, right? IPOs are not a destination. IPOs is just another lever that you can pull to finance your, your company, right? So you have the debt markets. I mean, Etihad has a sustainable bond in the debt markets, right? You have the shareholder that can actually add capital to, to, to the company. I mean, you can lease planes, right? Which is a way as well that you can finance your growth, right? 
I mean, uh, the capital market is just an additional lever. I mean, and, and, and when it's the right time, companies use that, right? And it's, it's a process that, I mean, we, we, we've done before. Uh, it's a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of work. Um, but who knows? I mean, the door is always open for any company in the world, right, to improve its uh, capital structure. So it's all about the capital structure, how we improve it. So, I mean, it's something that um, companies should evaluate when it's the right time for them. Uh, finally, lots of new routes. Lisbon, where you lived previously, Etihad's now flying there. Copenhagen, I was there a couple of I weeks ago that. with you guys. I hope you like it. Lovely place, it's a fab <laughs> fabulous city. On your wish list, let the heart rule the head. When you look at the wish list and you look at the route network, yes, it's all very technical and it's all very rational. Where would you love Etihad to fly that it doesn't fly now? I mean, I, I, I can't I, I can choose one. It, it's, is it like I children? Mean, you have can, to love them I, equally. Can, can I choose something different? Go on. Which is related to that, right? I'm not trying to escape, but I would love Etihad to have double daily to all destinations that we fly today in Europe double daily to all destinations that we fly in Southeast Asia and three to four flights a day to all destinations that we fly today to GCC and India. Once I do that, I can start dreaming about new destinations because, I mean, it goes back to my first point to you. We need to strengthen our network. The day I can provide my customers seamless double daily to Europe, seamless double daily to Southeast Asia and three and four flights a day to GCC and, uh, and to, to India, I mean, with this product that we have, nobody can, can deliver better product than we can. Wish you the best of luck. We'll catch up Thank at the you. Air Show in 2013. We'll find out if it all went well. Anton Aldo Neves, Chief Executive Etihad Airways. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right then. We have a squadron of airline CEOs this morning. Let's hear from the latest of them. He is the CEO of a new airline, the world's newest airline, Beyond, spelt without the Y. It launched yesterday flights from Munich to Malé in the Maldives. It's a luxury airline, all business class, and it showcased its first passenger plane here at the Dubai Air Show. Brandy sat down with the CEO, Taro Taskila, and asked him what the plan is. Here on a brand new Airbus for a brand new airline. Speaking to the CEO and founder, Tero Tuscula of Beyond. Tero, it's nice to see you again. Good to see you. So you take off for the first time tomorrow. Tell me where you're going. Uh, tomorrow we will be flying from Munich to the beautiful island of Maldives. And then followed by Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, again to the Maldives. And then on Friday, Zurich, Switzerland to the Maldives. Right, and then eventually in the summer, Dubai to the Maldives. For this airline, and if you can see behind me, you'll see that it is full of fancy flatbed seats, business class only. Why have you chosen those destinations? Well, we chose the destinations which has a lot of demand to the luxury resource we are serving. And in this case, Maldives is our first hub. So the, those are natural destinations for us to uh, fly, fly from. They also cater uh, for the customers we are trying to attract. So as you see from the cabin, uh, we are trying to uh, attract people who are honeymooners, uh, uh, couples, anniversaries, or even families. So the whole cabin has been designed with that in mind. So it's a business class only airline, and we've seen a few of them go south before, things like Silverjet that haven't worked. How are you going to make sure that doesn't happen to you? Well, we get the different market. So the, um, uh, the 
previous uh, uh, business class carriers, they have been operating on a corporate travel market. That is very difficult market to penetrate into because obviously they are always uh, served by the big boys with their corporate travel programs, with the uh, travel agents and uh, corporates. We are not in that game. We are serving uh, leisure travelers who are not uh, requiring frequencies or destinations uh, in the same amount as those corporates. And that's a completely different ballgame. We are the first one of our kind in a very unique niche. So tell me, how much are we talking for a ticket on here? Uh, the Dubai ticket would be um, roughly $2,000 return. Uh, the uh, European flights are around $4,000 return. And you suggested there that there might be more to come. Where else are you looking? Uh, we are looking at the, with the second aircraft, we will be oper uh, opening Milan and Bangkok. And then with each aircraft, we are adding three more destinations, which I'm not uh, in a position to disclose at the moment. Talk to me about getting those aircraft, because I know you're leasing, but there are waiting lists at the moment. How easy has it been to get, or is it to get the craft that you need? Uh, it has been uh, more challenging than we anticipated, but we, now we are in a good space. We have a first aircraft, second aircraft is coming. Uh, in the air show now we are negotiating for, th for the aircraft 3, 4 and 5. So in that sense it's becoming easier. The supply chain is uh, easing up. We made it also a little bit easier for the lessors because uh, we take the responsibility of uh, uh, refurnishing the, uh, the cabin to make it really beautiful, uh, the cost of that. So uh, that of course makes it a little bit more attractive in the market. You've also painted the outside of it black, which I found really curious given that you are flying to a tropical island, it's all green palm trees, blue water. Why a black plane? Well, we wanted to create this sort of uh, something special, uh, like an eye-catching uh, private set experience. But we actually worked together with the, um, uh, with the paint manufacturer and Airbus uh, trying to find the right shade of a black. So uh, uh, if you look closely, it appears to be black, but it is actually a very dark gray, graphite gray. And that helps us to reduce the, um, uh, the sort of typically what you face with the black paint is that it attracts UV rays and it attracts heat. We actually now managed to find a breaking point, which is the darkest possible gray we can have without having those side effects. So you're going to be competing with about 60,000 seats a month going from Dubai to the Maldives. How are you going to do that? Well, we believe that the, we can do it with, the, uh, with a good service, uh, with a good experience and attention to the details. So you mentioned about the paint. So the, the paint is something where we, are, uh, where we uh, put a lot of effort on, uh, on making sure that the, it is just right. If you look at the cabin, if you look at the texture, every single person who has been here in the air show come to the cabin and say, wow, this looks so much better. This feels so much better than in the pictures. And that's exactly what we want people to know. It is, uh, you need to experience the feeling what you get on board and beyond. Once you do that, then you will want to fly with us in the future as well. So how big could Dubai get for you in terms of the number of flights you operate? Uh, well, the sky is the limit, so obviously uh, uh, we are there to cater to the demand. So once the, uh, when the demand is there, we will add capacity to, um, uh, from Dubai to Maldives. But who knows, in the future we might actually use Dubai as a base and open uh, a lot of other destinations rather than Maldives. I have to ask also, before I let you go, in the run-up to COP, everyone obviously is talking about sustainability and carbon footprint. You've got 44 people in this cabin. That means their carbon footprint is going to be an awful lot more than flying properly commercial. What kind of options are you offering them or are you taking yourself to mitigate that? No, the, um, uh, well, let's talk about sustainability in, in many angles. So, of course, our customers have an option to offset the carbon uh, footprint. And uh, we also... Uh, uh, 
we are the flag carrier uh, in the in the Maldives, designated carrier in Maldives, and Maldives has much harder uh, uh, emission control uh, scheme that would we have in the Middle East or even Europe, and we are able to uh, uh, be within that uh, framework. So this means that we are doing every single measure to be the most uh, efficient, sustainable airline in our category. Uh, when you mentioned about having a 44 seats, there is also uh, uh, one other thing one needs to compare. We are flying this aircraft because it's very light at the same distances that everyone else has to fly white bodies. So every trip cost is 60, 60 to 80% less uh, 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 sort of fuel burning or uh, polluting with this aircraft than the others. Well, good luck for your flights, yeah. your first flights from Munich and from Riyadh tomorrow and the day after. How full are they? We are very happy with the booking levels and you would be surprised as well how well we do. But I can't disclose the, uh, the details. The voice of Tero Tasquila, CEO of the airline Beyond, which launched flights from Munich to the Maldives just yesterday. Brandy was sitting on his aircraft on the tarmac at DWC Al Maktoum International Airport at the air show. Looks lovely. Last time I went to the Maldives earlier on this year, I was also on an Airbus A320 class plane. But that was Wizz Air Abu Dhabi with about 200 seats in it. This one is a lot more posh, Brandy. Yeah, indeed. And in fact, I mean, and when I said today and yesterday, as Rich has just pointed out, that we have to move that all one day forward. That is an interview I prepared earlier. That plane, the Dubai Air Show, made an exception for. Uh, a little background or information for you. If you are taking a plane for what they call the static display at Dubai Air Show, you have to leave it there for the whole week. That's the rules. Um, but Tero needed to fly the plane <laughs> for his first routes because uh, they are a startup airline. Um, so they got basically an exception. They got special permission to take the plane away so it's no longer there um, because they needed it to start flying. Take one for the team, Brandy Scott. Fly with them to the Maldives. Spend a few days there. Get to really know them. Yeah, I feel to get the proper business story, I need to look at this in depth. It does need about five days. All inclusive. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Back to business, Dubai Air Show, 18th edition, happening as we speak, day four today. 1,400 exhibitors. 400 of those are new to Dubai Air Show. 95 countries, 20 country pavilions, and when it comes to aircraft displays, you've got nearly 200 of them. It's going to be a great finale later on today when they throw open the doors at 10 o'clock. Now, let's hear from one of the business leaders that's been at the air show. He is the CEO, uh, let me tell you, of uh, one of the big airlines in this region. And he has got a big job on his hands because he is launching a uh, new airline. He is Tony Douglas. And he's been chatting with Mohamed Suleiman, our producer, CEO of Riyadh Air. This is their conversation. Okay, Tony, um, let's start with orders. Lots of chatter before the air show this week about what you guys will be ordering, what you won't be ordering, how many of them you'll be ordering. What can you tell us? Well, first of all, everybody loves a good air show. And we at Riyadh Air definitely, definitely get excitement from revealing liveries. So back in June this year, we revealed the first livery. It's here again today in the Dubai air show. But earlier this morning, we revealed the second livery. And if people go on to any of our uh, kind of social media channels, you're going to see what is even more beautiful than the first one. But the big scoop of the day already is the release also of our first EV car partnership with Lucid. And uh, that picture, I think, has already gone viral. It's going to melt down the internet later on today. 
So a lot of fun, and we definitely like her shows. In terms of orders, yes, there's speculation. We like speculation because it draws your attention to what we're trying to do. And we'll probably release something in the coming weeks that will give a clear indication of the scale of our ambition with a sizable narrow body order. Whatever that number is, um, how confident are you that you'll get them on time? Well, it's the question, quite rightly, everybody asks. Um, there have been massive challenges within the OEM supply chains, but of course, that's no surprise to us or anybody else who's evaluating commercial aircraft delivery. So we go into it with our eyes wide open. Uh, however, we also make it quite clear we're a special case and it's not because of personalities or anything of that nature. We're a special case because we're a startup. If the OEM doesn't matter whether it's airframers or anybody else is late for us, we don't have a plan B. So they have to look at this as part of a long-term collaboration, a long-term partnership, because this is the biggest startup, as we all know, within this region for in excess of 30 years. So if you want to be in it, you've got to be able to commit to perform with it. And that's the deal. Fantastic. Let's talk about landing rights. Um, increasingly getting difficult to secure landing rights in destinations in India, whether that's Heathrow over in the UK. Um, how are you having those conversations with airports to secure the landing rights that you want for Riyadh there? So Euro-political bilaterals are always challenging, as you rightly say. There's a number of them that already exist, of course, because of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's uh, legacy rights. But the other thing to also consider is given the fact now that the Kingdom is the fastest growing economy in the G20, therefore the fastest growing economy in the world, there are so many other countries now who want greater access to the Kingdom and in particular through its capital city Riyadh. So bilaterals are by definition two-way streets. Obviously the streets are in the sky but the access rights were both ways. So up to now, we are very realistic that it's gonna be always a difficult job that requires great focus. However, we've been pleasantly surprised with some of the biggest international airlines in the world who actually, through Riyadh Air, want to get greater access into the kingdom. So we're very focused on that one, but we see great opportunity that delivers better connectivity for our citizens. In terms of that connectivity, um, what are some of the big markets that you're looking for in terms of routes? Um, is it India? Is it uh, over in Asia? What, what are you looking, to, looking at in terms of routes? So we look to connect to 110 or more destinations by 2030. Given that we'll start in Q2 of 25, that's actually a remarkable growth over a relatively short period of time. You won't be surprised to see in the future if it's all the major capital cities within Europe and many of the secondary cities, the major cities of Northeast United States and Canada, all the major cities in the Far East, within uh, Central Asia, within the broader Indian subcontinent, GCC, and of course domestic flying. So we will be the new national carrier that gives global connectivity from Riyadh. 
Tony Douglas, the CEO of Riyadh Air, in conversation with our producer, Mohammed Suleiman, at the Dubai Air Show. Part two of that interview with Tony Douglas. You can hear tomorrow morning on the Business Breakfast. And of course, check out our social media at Dubai I1038FM on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook as well. And of course, don't forget the bite sized Business Breakfast. If you've missed anything, in terms of our aviation coverage this week, then uh, go to our website, DubaiI1038.com, or wherever you get your, your podcasts, and you can check out the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We are live on the radio, Dubai I103.8 FM, also live on TV, Dubai One. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.